to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Pflugerville. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but it's also a learning experience. While working with her, I've learned all sorts of skills I can apply to my own inventions, like the pygmy piano. This is a tiny piano I invented where every key makes the sound of a screaming goat. Imagine listening to your favorite song, but every note is screamed by a goat. Pretty awesome, right? Today's invention is almost as awesome as the pygmy piano. It's Pokemon! Pokemon, it's an anime, it's a movie franchise, it's a card game, it's a collectible, it's one of the most successful gaming franchises of all time. In fact, one of the only things that Pokemon isn't is natural. I mean, you don't see Pokemon growing on trees, do you? No, my goats! Before anyone was able to catch them all, someone had to invent them all. Let's take a look at how that happened. In 1982, a Japanese man named Satoshi Tajiri and his friend named Ken Sugimori started a magazine dedicated to video games called Game Freak. It was successful, but after a while, these two buddies decided to stop writing about video games and start making them. So Game Freak became a gaming company. Now, inventing something new is a lot of work, so it helps to start with something you're passionate about. That will make the work fun. For Satoshi, this means bucks. <laughs> he loved catching and collecting creepy crawlies. In fact, as a kid, Satoshi loved bugs so much he wanted to be an entomologist, which is a person who studies bugs. And his friends gave him the nickname, Dr. Bug. So, Satoshi came up with the idea for a game where you collected bugs. But these bugs weren't just any bugs. These bugs looked like monsters. Cute, cute monsters. He called his game Pocket Monsters and pitched it to Nintendo, who agreed to help him turn his dream into a reality. Satoshi spent the next six years working with legendary game maker Shigeru Moyimoto, the man behind Mario and The Legend of Zelda, making Pocket Monsters. In 1996, Pocket Monsters was finally made and was released for the Game Boy in Japan. The way Pocket Monsters worked was played a character who traveled around the fictional region of Kanto in a quest to catch pocket monsters and train them for battling. There were 151 monsters to catch, and the more you caught, the better you would be able to battle. The Game Boy wasn't available in color yet, so the game was black and white. But that didn't matter. People loved pocket monsters. 
But there was a problem. The name Pocket Monsters was a little long for the small Game Boy cartridges. So they decided to shorten it to Pokemon before releasing it outside of Japan. The rest is video game history. Pokemon went on to be the second most successful gaming franchise of all time, right behind Mario. With the success of the games, they decided to create a Pokemon trading card game. The first set of cards contained 102 different Pokemon. The cards became very popular, and by 1999, Pokemon card tournaments were being played all over the world. They created a world championship tournament for all the best players to compete in. Since then, more than 30 billion cards have been printed, and some people will even pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of the rarer cards, like a first edition Charizard. In 1997, Pokemon was turned into an animated TV series in Japan. It followed the story of a boy named Satoshi, named after the Pokemon creator, as he set off on a journey to try to become a Pokemon master with his companion, Pikachu. When the series was released worldwide, the producers changed Satoshi's name to Ash Ketchum, but Pikachu stayed the same. It was only supposed to be a single season experiment, but it was so successful that there have been over 23 seasons of Pokemon with more than 1,000 episodes. Wow! One of the big reasons for the show's success is Pikachu. Pikachu is a bright yellow Pokemon who gets its name from Pika, the sound the Japanese make for an electric spark, and Chew, the sound a mouse makes. It's hard to say why Pikachu became so popular, he just has something about him that in a world full of cool and cute Pokemon, he stands out. He's a natural movie star, which is a good thing since 23 animated films have been made, including a live action movie, Detective Pikachu. As successful as all of the Pokemon games, shows, and movies were, they were always in your hands or on your TV. But that all changed in 2016 when Pokemon escaped into our world with Pokemon Go. The game was groundbreaking and allowed players to explore the real world using satellite and augmented reality technology to make it seem like Pokemon were appearing on their phone screens all over the world. Pokemon were finally everywhere. People won't always see the world the same way you do, but that's a good thing for an inventor. What makes you different is what makes you special. Look at Satoshi. Most of the world saw bugs and said, ew, but he said, cool, and decided to invent a way to share his passion with everyone. And so now, 20 years later, over a billion people are walking around seeing the world through his eyes and trying to catch all of his inventions. Hello, one and all, it's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, coming to you live from Lucy Wow's barn in Pflugerville. Now, you may know me best as Lucy's sidekick, but I'm also the host of this podcast dedicated to my favorite subject, invention. Why do I love invention so much? Well, because I was invented. That's right. Every inch of me from my body made of tools to my butt that plays music like a boombox was invented by Lucy Wow. Now, when Lucy Wow invented me, she knew I'd help her build, but she never expected that I'd eat her socks and host a podcast too. <laughs> but that's one of the most amazing things about inventing. You never know how your creation might impact the world, like today's inventor. Guglielmo Marconi. He knew that his work with radio waves would help people to communicate over large distances, but he had no idea that his work would allow a mechanical pygmy goat like me to communicate with a kid like you. Or did he? Let's find out. 
1874 in Italy, Marconi was born into a wealthy family. He studied privately, and one of his tutors introduced him to German physicist Heinrich Hertz's recent discovery of radio waves. The discovery of invisible waves of energy pulsing through the air was exciting, but no one could actually figure out what to do with them. No one until Marconi, that is. The young Marconi was a tinkerer. He loved to take things apart and experiment. And when he learned about radio waves, he was inspired and started experimenting with them. He wasn't sure exactly how they worked, but through his tinkering, he started to believe they could be used to send messages through the air, something that had never been done before. Oh. You either used a wire or mailed a letter back then. One day, he managed to send a series of beeps through the air from one antenna to another antenna. Knowing that he was onto something, Marconi took his tinkering to the next level and built a lab in the attic where he tried to improve his new message system. Thanks to his hard work and dedication, he was soon sending signals to locations a mile away. No one had ever done anything like this before, so Marconi decided to present his new technology to the Italian government. But surprisingly, they weren't very impressed. Marconi couldn't believe they didn't like his invention. But rather than give up, he decided to try his luck somewhere else. Marconi and his mother traveled to England, where he presented his message system all over London. The British loved it! Even the British post office decided to start funding his research. With his new support, Marconi was broadcasting up to 12 miles in less than a year. He officially had the distance, but he was only able to send short messages, like a single beep. So Marconi kept tinkering. In 1903, Marconi was able to radio a greeting from American President Theodore Roosevelt across the Atlantic to King Edward VII of England. The ability to send a message through the air, across the ocean, and without a wire was a game changer. Soon, Marconi Company radios operated by trained Marconi men, became standard equipment all over the world, especially on ships who had never had a way to radio for help before. When the Titanic sunk, it was a Marconi operator that sent for help and ended up saving over 700 people. But even though Marconi's radio system was a hit, he kept tinkering with it. For the next two decades, he refined his invention, experimenting with shortwave broadcasts and testing distances aboard his 700-ton yacht. Until in 1909, Marconi won the Nobel Prize in Physics. With this award, people all over the world were now calling Marconi a genius. But Marconi didn't think he was all that. In fact, in his Nobel speech, he admitted he didn't even really understand how his radio worked. He felt that he was still just a tinkerer. Now, whether or not he was a genius or just a tinkerer or both, Marconi was definitely way ahead of his time. In fact, he predicted the global network of wireless communication, which now, a century later, we have. Today, based on his network, radio waves are used by cell phones, radar, GPS maps, garage door openers, and drones. They're even used to send goat-hosted podcasts to your ears. Anything that wirelessly sends you a message or a picture comes from Marconi. Wow! I guess it just goes to show, you don't have to understand the world to change it. So get out there and get tinkering. Who knows how your discovery will impact the world? 
Hello, my fellow supers. I'm Guy Neville. Or perhaps you know me better by my superhero name, guy o protector of Flugerville. You know, I may be extra super, but you can be a superhero too. It's true. You have the power of imagination, the power of creation, and the power of invention. And with powers like these, you can become a match for any villain or challenge that should arise. Speaking of meeting a challenge, today's super invention was invented to stop the unstoppable, to beat the unbeatable, to out incredible the incredible. The Incredible Hulk, that is. That's right, today's invention, which is so cool that I have to admit, it makes me jelly, is Iron Man's special Hulkbuster suit. Oh. Now, to understand the Hulkbuster suit, there are two heroes I have to introduce you to. The first is Tony Stark. Tony is a billionaire, a troublemaker, a pizza lover, and inventor to the core. He's made a fortune inventing all sorts of things, from robots to artificial hearts. But of all the cool stuff he's invented, nothing is cooler than the high-flying, alien-blasting, Thanos-punching suit that he wears when he's saving the world as Iron Man. As Iron Man, Tony is one of the Avengers. You, uh, might have heard of them. But as smart as Tony is, he's not the only genius on the Avengers. There's also a man named Bruce Banner on the team, and he's as smart as they come. The only problem is that Bruce has a bit of a, a anger problem. In fact, when Bruce gets really angry, he turns into a giant green monster who likes to smash everything. He's known as the Hulk. You uh, might have heard of him too. The Hulk is incredibly strong and powerful, and when he's under control, he's been known to save the world. The problem is when he loses control, he's been known to destroy things, like uh, New York. In fact, it was after the Hulk lost control in New York and smashed half the city and beat up Iron Man in the process that Tony and Bruce thought it would be a good idea to design a special Iron Man suit that could stop the Hulk in case he got angry again. After all, when Hulk get angry, Hulk smash. The suit these two geniuses created was called Mark 44 Armor, or the Hulkbuster for short. And boy, is this suit cool. First of all, it was specifically designed to match the incredible strength of the Hulk. So it is powered by over 11 arc reactors, which are super engines that can put a rocket into space. These engines power the suit's piss and pump fists. These fists hit so hard that Tony was able to hit Hulk in the face and send him flying two streets away. Whoa, but the Hulk did get up. Luckily, the suit also has the ability to shoot repulsor beams strong enough to hold down Hulk for a, for a while. Actually, he still got up. But the suit isn't just designed to hit the Hulk. The suit is also able to stand being hit by the Hulk. They used a combination of strong metals and impact-absorbing electrons to create an unbreakable structure. But just because the suit can take a punch from the big green guy without breaking, it still isn't a lot of fun to get smashed. So, like all other Iron Man suits, the Hulkbuster can fly away in the face of green rage, although given its size, it's not as fast as the other Iron Man suits. In case none of these features work, 
and the wearer needs help. The suit contains a head-up display with the helmet to allow the wearer to call for help. And as a last resort, the suit is able to launch small missiles. But shooting missiles tends to do just as much damage as an angry Hulk, so uh, it's only a last resort. What's amazing though, is that while the suit was built in order to bust the Hulk, it's proven to have a bigger purpose beyond that, heroic purposes. Most heroically, Bruce Banner wore the armor to fight the armies of Thanos when he was unable to become the Hulk. Wow! That's right! A tool made to stop the Hulk ended up filling in for the green guy when the world needed help. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a big green rage machine, a scientist in a lab coat, a billionaire in a metal flying suit, or a student in an elementary school. What's important is that you try to do the right thing and help the people around you. Hulk can smash or Hulk can save. It's like we always say here, it's not the tool that makes the hero, it's how the hero uses the tool. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Guy Neville's Power of Super Invention podcast. Come back next week when I'll be covering more super inventors and super inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? <laughs> it's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Vila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat Kapow. Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger. Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner. I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. Uh, just uh, keep on the lights, folks. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or Lil' Ol' Me, send it to Guy at GoKidGo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Guy O'Matic signing off. Go Kid Go! Go Kid Go!